Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm very excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you all. A little bit of a detour on this one, plenty of Rockies baseball, but also an interview with a very special guest, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. And this, this is a lot of fun. You know, Dan and I have had a lot of back and forth over the years. We've known each other or at least known of each other for years and years and and usually we are battling about the Colorado Rockies I would I think it's fair to say he's been one of their harsher critics over the years and and I've oftentimes lived on the opposite end of that spectrum right and so we've clashed um you know, there have been times it's gotten pretty heated, but I feel like for the most part, it's been pretty respectful uh, over the years. But, you know, we've gotten to know each other better, mostly through being uh, super nerds and realizing that we have a similar love and passion for video games and stuff. So I thought it would be good to have him on, talk a little bit about the CBA, uh, the state of baseball, because I know he was really in the weeds on all the lockout stuff. So I wanted to get in touch with him about what was going on there and, and where baseball stands. And we fight a little bit about the Colorado Rockies, though not quite as much as I, I would have thought. I did want to get his takes on it uh, as his projections and all of that do still see them as, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. And then uh, a little bit of nerding out at the end. But before we get to the interview, uh, I do want to get a quick recap of the first game against the Phillies. I'll recap the entire series when it's over. But a 4-1 to one win for your Colorado Rockies behind a phenomenal performance by Chad Cool, who maybe could have gone the distance if not for some weird, it sounds like the finger issue may have flared up again. We know from his first start, he had a little bit of a, a cut on his finger. Not sure what was going on there, but it very clearly wasn't impacting his pitching. Guy was absolutely lights out for six innings, only allowed two hits, walked one batter, struck out four, but he was working with extreme efficiency all over the strike zone, uh, getting first strikes all over the place. Uh, the fact that he had only thrown 68 pitches and was set to go back out there for the seventh, we could have been looking at a, a complete game shutout for Chad Cool at Coors Field. It would have been the weirdest complete game shutout at Coors Field since Chris Russin, probably. And yes, that's a real thing that happened. Um, I remember I was there. Uh, Chris Russin threw a complete game no-hitter at, at Coors Field. He was a starter once upon a time. But yeah, that was absolutely phenomenal to see. Those of you who've been following the show regularly had heard me talk about how the most important thing was for Chad Cool to be able to give them length. You know, I was saying even if in order to go six or seven innings, he has to give up four or five runs, the bullpen really needs a day. So, of course, it's sort of ironic that he gets the six innings, but he very easily could have and probably should have been seven or eight with better health, whatever's going on with him. I need to get an update today. But you know, poor bullpen still has to come in and, and get a couple of innings of work there. Uh, but as it turned out, uh, while they were a little bit shakier, I'll talk about that in just a second, get the W, the 4-1 four, four win, uh, really, really good stuff from the pitching again. But that was fantastic to see out of Chad Cool. Uh, you know, the, those are the kinds of things that the the John Gray, the, the letting John Gray thing go is looks better and better or is more and more justifiable the better Chad Cool is for a third of the cost, right? Or about, not quite a third, between a third and a half. I'd have to do the math real quick and I'm not going to right this second. But for much less than what they're paying John Gray, they're, they've got this guy who they're hoping can be a very solid fifth starter for them in his first two outings. He has been. And obviously... You know, he's been much, much, much better than the sort of Chichi Gonzalez, Antonio Santos kind of parade of 
we hope this guy figures it out that they had there before, right? So really good stuff from Chad Cool. You got to hope he can get healthy, get back out there. You can't expect him to be this good all year long, but hopefully you can't expect him to be pretty solid for the Rockies out of the fifth rotation spot. And if you can, that is a huge, huge boost to this team where most of us, uh, you know, myself included, even the positive projections were basically relying on the top four guys to do their thing. And, and leaving the fifth spot is a giant question mark. So if they can get plus production out of their fifth spot, that's going to be huge. Then, uh, you know, you, you had the Rockies were pretty much off balance by Aaron Nola all game. He's a great pitcher. He, he threw some really nasty stuff, especially early on. His sequencing was fantastic. Uh, the guy can throw any pitch and any count. He's basically like a right-handed version of what I would love to see Austin Gomber become because he doesn't have, you know, the overpowering power pitcher stuff. He doesn't have a 97 mile an hour fastball or, you know, any of that, but he works off of his knuckle curve and his sinker and all this movement and great command, great location and good sequencing. And he was able to keep the Rockies off balance all the way until the sixth inning. We had a scoreless ball game going into the bottom of the sixth. Uh, Charlie Blackman took care of that with a monster home run. How about that for Chuckles? A walk in the game, an RBI, a couple of runs scored, and a 450-foot blast to right center field for the, quote, old man. Maybe not so old, maybe not so ready to be buried by the fan base and the media and be buried in the lineup and, you know, all the Carlos Gonzalez comparisons that I've been doing and all that stuff. You know, we know that day is coming. Comes for us all, right? Right? We all get a little bit older, but uh, man, boy, was it good to see him still contributing and, and contributing not just by, you know, looping a nice little base hit over the first baseman or, you know, lining one the other way for a, a single through the shift or something like that. Like he got a hold of that thing. And so that's the kind of home run ball you like to see out of the Rockies offense this year. And then big, big RBI coming out of Randall Gritchick and that at bat late almost made a really stupid base running error. He almost ran into an out uh, on the base paths there. Uh, at third, trying to trying to go for a triple, she really didn't need to be doing. But it was still, you know, uh, it was interesting. And I don't know if there was a matchup thing or if Buddy is still just kind of tooling around with the lineup. We've seen a lot of different lineups uh, with Chris Bryant getting a day, and I was told it was. We were all told it was precautionary, uh, a slight quad thing going on with Chris Bryant. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's right back in there this evening. But uh, Randall Gritchick starting in the three hole, and you know, rewarding his manager's faith by coming up with a big hit late a big two out uh two r i don't know if there were two outs I, i'm pretty sure there were it was a, well it was a two rbi double uh to right field that really gave the rockies the cushion that they needed to hang on and win the baseball game uh, you did get a nice solid base hit and a walk out of brendan rogers he's still i think looking for that liner in the gap that's going to turn him around but a base hit back up the middle that he stretched into a double was nice to see and the walk you know he did have one strikeout but still it wasn't an 0 for 4 with 3 Ks, right? He's looking a little bit better, still keeping our eyes on that. And Sam Hilliard with a two-hit ball game. He continues to look pretty locked in at the plate. You want to get him as many plate appearances as possible, but the Rockies have like five outfielders that need to play, so that's going to continue to be a dance all season long. Ultimately, though, you got a very, very solid win. This is a great win for the Rockies, which on paper, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies are supposed to be a postseason team, and Aaron Nola is one of the better pitchers in baseball over the last couple of years. And the Rockies had their fifth rotation guy going in, Chad Cool. That is an on-paper loss for your ball club. You, you usually, 
when their top guy is going against your number five guy, you know, and you've got a scoreless game because it's not like, well, he came in and he laid a duck because it's Coors Field or whatever. Aaron Nola was very good. Chad Cool was just also very good, if not better. And the Rockies were able to break through late. And then they did get more uh, fantastic performance out of the bullpen. Tyler Kinley, who I'm writing on right now, had a great conversation with him yesterday. The clean inning and really needed it there to preserve the momentum when Cool had to come out of the game you know, unexpectedly. And all of a sudden, you know, Kinley's out there, uh, maybe wasn't necessarily expecting to be because Cool was at such a low pitch count, like I said, but he comes in, pitches a clean inning with a strikeout. That was really important. Carlos Estevez got himself into a little bit of trouble. First hit was very weak contact. The other two were a lot more solid. He does allow a run. It's his first run of the season that he's allowed. And again, you can't expect the, the bullpen to be perfect. Uh, these are the kinds of things that I think are more important than those stretches where, yeah, they lock everything down. The bullpen didn't allow any runs. Like they're not going to have a zero ERA all season. They're not going to have a one or a two ERA all season. So you need to find a way to figure out how to win ball games when one of your relievers gives up runs. And the Rockies were able to do it here. Carlos didn't have his best stuff. He was getting a little bit dinked and dunked, but they go to Chassin. Chassin makes a beautiful play on a double play that was, uh, you know, the defensive play of the night. That was really fantastic. And I appreciated, you know, the headiness of that for him to look to third, then go to second uh, because he didn't want to try to hit a moving target with the throw. Like, Chassin, very, very professional defensive play right there. And then uh, I assume, you know, a little bit of rest for Daniel Bard, uh, Alex Colomay getting his first save opportunity and coming through. He did walk a guy with two outs, uh, but it was competitive at bat. It wasn't like on four pitches or anything. I think it was a 3-2 pitch that just missed. Maybe it was 3-1. Uh, but ultimately, Colome does get the save. The cutter continues to look fantastic, and the bullpen continues to look fantastic. Ben, don't break. You can give up runs. You're going to give up runs. But to still win the ball game, to not have the, the collapse happen there, and to shut it down in the end, more good stuff from a bullpen that just wasn't doing things like that last year. So as much as I'm sure people want to tear their hair out and say, what do you do about Carlos Estevez right now? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You leave this bullpen exactly as it is. You keep playing them exactly as they are, and you can't run at the first sign of any kind of trouble. There's going to be trouble. Chassin gave up three. He had a bad game in that Cubs series, right? He gave up three runs in an inning. He just wasn't, just didn't have it. So they, they ripped him out of there. They got somebody else in the game, and they ended up shutting it down and winning. This time, Chassin was on the flip side of it. Estevez couldn't get out of the inning. Well, Chassin comes in and bails him out. You know, those are the kinds of things that they need and uh, so far are getting. So good stuff from the Colorado Rockies, improving to 7-3 and three on the se- season. Uh, great game from Chad Cool. Really cool to see Charlie Blackman get the home run and the offense just kind of continue to get enough you know do their thing we'll keep watching for the rest of the set and the second game here coming up tonight uh, the Rockies will send Kyle Freeland to the mound against Kyle Gibson it'll be a battle of the Kyles and then we'll get Marquez versus Eflin for the Wednesday afternoon contest before the Colorado Rockies are off to Detroit I'll have all of that for you of course as it unfolds for now thank you for listening and check out this interview with my guy from Fangraphs Dan Zimborski all right Dan I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm excited to dive right into it because 
you know, I contacted you about this conversation when neither one of us really knew if they would even be playing baseball right now. Uh, <laughs> the whole lockout thing that happened. So, uh, you know, the original plan was to t- kind of dive into all the details of that. Now that it's in giant air quotes solved uh, for now, that is my first question to you is just from a broad standpoint, where do we stand on the state of the baseball and labor negotiations, the CBA and this whole mess? Are we expecting another lockout? How much was solved here and how much is left to be solved? Well, obviously, the the immediate problem of having a season was solved. I don't know if the long term structural issues of baseball have been solved, of course, uh, because you still have a situation where owners are incentivized to, you know, play games with service time. uh, And there's only so much that players could really do against that unless they were willing to fight and win a a bargaining dispute that could take a year or two of no baseball to it's, it's a pretty big risk for a player, especially, you know, a fringe player who this might be their entire career. Uh, the owners generally have the advantage long-term simply because they're going to be around in 20 years and nobody who is playing now or almost nobody is going to be playing. So that is always kind of the, the background of these labor negotiations. Yeah. And, you know, the the other thing about it for me, and there's obviously so many moving pieces to all of this stuff. For me, the biggest issue, and anyone who's listened to my show for years knows how much I loathe tanking just as a concept. Now, I understand why teams do it. Of course, there's an incentive to do it. If there wasn't, they wouldn't do it. And I was really hoping we could address that uh, this time around. So I'll ask you, even though I saw your tweets, I still want to ask you the question. What was your reaction when, okay, CBA, great, good news start the season and immediately like Oakland and Cincinnati and some of these teams just start with no like pretense that they're even trying to compete, just selling off their best pieces. Like what, what message does that send? Well, it doesn't send a great message. I know Rob Manfred talks about how I want to establish a good relationship with players now. Uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't know why I imitate Rob Manfred like Bullwinkle, but I don't have a real (laughs) deep stable of imitations. Uh, (laughs) Works. it's it's like owners are it's it's such bad optics on some level and it's the kind of thing that embitters players it's a little like salary arbitration fights uh people have always said try not to get into those fights because you can make a team hate you in salary arbitration but you're never going to make them love you in salary arbitration by giving them a certain salary so so to avoid that if possible the the fundamental problem is that in a decreasing amount of revenue in baseball isn't really tied to having a good baseball team. Uh, And people are always like, well, the problem can be solved if the Rays just spend more. But the issue is that the Rays are in a system where it's not actually that smart for them to spend more. They lose the more revenue they generate, the more they lose. Uh, we've we've seen from their attendance and their and their overall revenues that they don't really get much more money for winning than losing. So it's objectively stupid, essentially, to say the Rays should spend like 120 million dollars, and so right. they're not going to do that. What you need is a structure that incentivizes the Rays to spend money. Uh, you have to make investing in the team smart and something that baseball rewards if you want that to be the. the the case right uh, one thing i've proposed is having the revenue sharing pool for the smaller market teams shared on the basis of how many wins they get kind of pay them for wins kind of mm. increase the marginal revenue that they gain for an additional win but the 
MLBPA kind of dipped their toes into that in the very age. Uh, but the owner said, we're not listening to any discussion of that. And that's why that kind of thing is really hard to implement. And it's really unlikely unless the MLBPA wins a labor dispute. And that would take losing a lot of baseball and possibly causing, you know, short-term damage to the game. Yeah. And, and we saw, you know, how it played out. And of course, anyone who's seen this before knows that's how it's going to go. At some point, the fans just throw their hands in the air and say a pox on both their houses. And, and, you know, it's going to be a tough one for the players to bite that bullet. I remember coming into the whole thing, you know, people kept asking me, what's your absolute pie in the sky hope, especially from an economic standpoint, what would you do to change baseball? And my answer to that for several years now has been a salary floor. But we couldn't even get around on making the the luxury tax make sense. Like we can't even get get, get on that side of it. So, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. So, uh, can you give what is your best hope? Not not necessarily even pie in the sky, but your best fo- hope for how some of this can get fixed moving forward. I'm not sure about fixed, but I do like things like. If you can't win on certain things, issues like a higher minimum salary at least gets players more money earlier in their careers uh, when they're actually good. Because I know that some people are hoping that teams will be cyclical and start signing like, you know, the Adam Joneses of the world again. But that's not actually going to happen. So if the MLBA is hoping that revenue will continue to grow by teams spending ludicrously on, you know, 34 year old fourth outfielders that 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 day is not coming again because it's just not teams don't do that anymore uh so you do have to get you kind of have to support getting money into players pockets any way you can because i know the mlbpa is against it as uh from a philosophical standpoint and i understand why uh i've, I've talked with people at the mlbpa about this and they don't really like my idea but i think on some level the MLBPA has did so poorly, especially during the Michael Weiner years mm-hmm. uh, since the 94 strike that they have, they're actually about a billion behind where they would be right now if they had the 94 salary cap proposal. And that's, that's very troubling. So whatever they can do to get money in pockets, especially to players who are on 40 man rosters and not on 25 man rosters, they actually got a sizable, uh, bonus uh, this year obviously no. minor leaguers have gotten more marginal gains but just just get more money to players somehow and that's that's kind of what they had to do you can't make the perfect system just try to get a little bit more of the pie yeah and and that's what i really liked about the player bonus pool idea right even if it it, it hasn't gone full length there and i've often wondered too because arbitration is such an incredibly complicated and honestly truly bizarre system that (laughs) I think just ought to be done away with, but you'd have to replace it with something. What about some sort of reforms where, cause, and, and this will be right up your alley as the fan graphs guy, you know, we've got guys going into arbitration and they're still arguing over, I don't know, their batting average and number of RBI is going to determine how much they get paid as opposed to, as we've seen sort of the poster children for this guys like uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Or Juan Soto, who are some of the most valuable players in the league, but aren't getting paid more because of it. So what do you think about those situations and whether or not, because as you mentioned, there's the guys who are like on the 40 man, but not the 25. And then there are those superstar players, uh, Fernando Tatis. Again, now, they, now he signed a contract, you know, Wander Franco signed his contract, but even I remember talking to players off record 
when Armand Marquez signed his contract. And some of them weren't especially thrilled about it because they knew that, you know, he's basically getting taken advantage of because it's a huge raise for him personally, but he's been underpaid throughout the duration of his deal. Uh, that may end up being the same thing with like Ryan McMahon, but at least those guys are getting paid where these other guys stay in arbitration despite, despite being some of the most valuable players in the league. So do you think we've got a workable solution for those guys? Well, they they have taken tiny steps forward for, you know, a whole year of service time for players on the rookie of the year, you know, first or second. They were still that's still yeah. kind of up in the air as far as I remember exactly the the final conclusion for that. Uh, but, you know, that creates problems as well. I know uh, I, I can't speak everything that was confidential, obviously, but I don't think we were particularly pleased about the uh, the proposal of using Fangraphs war for things simply because that puts us in kind of a really, really awkward position, which we're, sure. you know, determining value of the players we cover. Uh, mm. Like if someone asked me, like, how about we pay people off your projections? I'd be like, oh, please do not do that. Uh, <laughs> that would be the worst idea ever. And you, you, we can't actually stop them from doing it, which is kind of a frustrating thing. And even the rookie of the year thing, it's made a lot of writers rather uncomfortable that the the players that we cover as BBWA card holders and you're a card holder too, uh, that right. we will be determining who we cover gets an extra gets one fewer year until free agency. That's super super awkward. I know there was a lot of pushback uh, about that. I don't know if there's a great alternative rather than just. Once you have salary arbitration, let them fight it out in front of an arbitrator. Uh, it's just not a great system. Yeah, no, it's it's just not. <laughs> it's just fundamentally probably not a way to do things, and that's why none of the other major sports have an arbitration system. Um, all right, one last thing that I, I want to ask on this, is, and this will actually be, I think, the perfect transition question into talking about the Rockies a little bit, is – now, because I've had this issue with them, too, where, you know, a lot of people, because the Rockies simply have not been competitive for most of their existence, tend to lump them into the category of, you know, people write Dick Monfort's just laughing his way to the bank and these guys aren't even trying to win. I think whether you, you know, however frustrated you may or may not be with the team, there is an important distinction here and that they've been bad at trying to win, <laughs> but they at the very least have never gone full in or even close to the whole we're going to tank, we're going to lose on purpose and all of that. So how do you, as someone who's maybe looking at it more from a 35,000 foot view and a 30 team view, and I see you on Twitter, you hate the the tanking stuff just as much as I do, but it's also kind of hard to give credit to some of these teams in the middle when they're trying to compete. And so many of the, dare I say, Zips projections uh, suggest that maybe <laughs> they should be trying to tear down instead. But it's like, isn't... Isn't that not what we want teams to be doing? So how, how are you wrestling with that dynamic these days? Well, well, that dynamic is going to continue to exist because, as I said, the way the structure of baseball is incentivized, tanking is objectively, in a lot of cases, a good idea because you don't really get paid for winning 80 games instead of, say, 70 games. And that's a big problem. That's what's why I'm proposing, you know, you get more revenue at 80 than 70 because all of a sudden it's worthwhile beyond just 
entertaining your fans to put in and to put a decent or playable team on the field. Uh, I know I've been very hard on the Rockies at times when they haven't uh, traded players, not because I, I like it. It's simply because I think generally speaking with baseball's incentives in place that front offices generally have to work with that structure. I know a lot of people in front offices do not like baseball's economic system, but it's the owners that call the shots with that. I, I think if you put, the 30 GMs in charge of negotiating the collective bargaining agreement, it probably yeah. would have been a lot better one than really, having one with the owners involved. Really I mean, these guys, point. yeah, these, I mean, these guys work with players. I mean, people are always like, I hate the Rays front office. They don't spend money. It's like they would spend money right. if they were allowed to spend money. Right. I mean, they're just doing their job. They're as best they can. It's it, it it just comes down to incentives in the end. If baseball wants a certain type of play and a certain type of roster building, you have to incentivize it at some level. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. I remember, you know, making myself very unpopular at times for saying, and and this is a comment I've tried to remind every people, you've got to render unto the owners the things that are the owners. And render unto the GMs the things that are the GMs. And I, I remember a lot of times when people get like mad at Jeff Breidich for letting DJ LeMahieu walk. And I was like, that's on the owner. But then they get mad at, at Dick Mon for, for like making certain trades and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Or like for the for the Super Bowl pen or Ian Desmond. Or like, no, that was that was Jeff Breidich. Uh, you know, so it's like, I think it's important that we, we separate those things and realize it. But uh, I'm with you at that point that like the GMs, would clearly be running things differently. And it, yeah, if they could spend all the money that they wanted to, of course they would all go out and sign these superstar players and make your team better. So yeah, you got, you got to remember that that's all on the owners, right? So uh, that said, what do you make in, in broad terms of, you know, Bill Schmidt obviously inherited a situation and was given a directive by his owner. We don't tank, we don't do that. So Given those directives, it's again, it's like playing MLB the show, right? Like when you sign up to my, be my GM and they say, like, you can do this and you can do that. You can't spend more than this. Uh, what do you make of the job that Bill Schmidt has done so far and particularly, obviously, the Chris Bryant move? I think it's still an incomplete at this point. I, I like their low key uh, uh, kind of moves they made this this offseason. I'm not obviously a fan of the Bryant contract simply because I think there's a huge danger in signing a guy entering his thirties to a long-term contract who no longer plays a, a premium defensive position. Well, uh, that that's my big worry with Bryant. Uh, I, I, I love, I love on the other hand, the, the Cron, uh, yeah. the, the Cron re resigning was terrific. I, he's been one of my favorites and I think baseball's actually probably undervalued first baseman a little relative to, uh, the rest of the league. I think they got a little too far in that emphasizing the up the middle players positional value. Uh, I th I think it's an incomplete for the Rockies. And as you say, it's always going to be hard to separate what a front office does from what an ownership group does to what the scouting people or the analytics people say. And that, that, that that's tricky. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think the Rockies are a serious playoff contender, but they're playing well right now. So uh, <laughs> people can be happy that I'm wrong so far. Right. Well, yeah, it is an interesting thing because I think, you know, and, and this gets into a conversation that honestly, I'd love to have much deeper with you in the future sometimes is and, and disagree with me right away. If, if you really think that I'm wrong right here, <laughs> we, but, have, we have disagreed plenty. On the I was going to say it wouldn't be the first time. Right. Uh, the Rockies have got to be the hardest team in baseball to accurately measure. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is. I will agree with that. It is okay. tricky. Uh, we have disagreements on the course field effect, just the magnitude of it, but it is a challenge to play in cores. Now, I like challenges, and it's hard to put a team together in cores. I haven't been able to prove this, but my belief generally is that a neutral park is the best for most teams, the easiest to build for, rather than an extreme park. Right. Uh, because if you can build a team to win in a neutral park, they can probably win everywhere. Uh, so that is an additional problem that you're going to have in, you know, extreme hitters parks and courses. And of course, mile high before it are completely different than anything, but maybe, maybe the Baker bowl Phillies. Uh, and then on the opposite side with extreme picture parks, there's there additional problems. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think there's necessarily any way you're going to deal with that because, no matter how many humidors you have, I mean, you're going to have what, a pressurized dome. I right. don't know how you would do that uh, practically. Yeah, no, I, I think and, you know, I've long been of the belief that it comes down to keeping it in mind with every aspect of, of how you build your team. And I think they've done varying jobs from not very good to decent about that. Um, you know, it, it's ironic because right now, one of the big things I think you need an incredibly athletic, very good defensive outfield. And right now they. They don't have that uh, at all. <laughs> that is, yeah, the outfield defense is not great. But, you know, then there are certain metrics that will tell you that, you know, your outfield defense is only going to save you X number of runs over the course of a year. And it's going to be more at Coors. But ultimately, if Bryant, Gritchick and Blackman hit home runs and I guess throw Connor Joe into that as well. And I think Bill Schmidt went, well, I'm not going to get a great defensive outfield with the moves that are available. Let's just hit dingers. And I was like, well. <laughs> okay, they got starting pitching and they got home run hitters. Uh, obviously, the big surprise so far has been that their bullpen has been so fantastic, and I don't expect that to continue. But I do think their starting pitching is underrated, and that's the one thing that I think some of the stats that people like you and, and people that you work with have come up with over the years, whether it's ERA minus or, or these park-adjusted things where people look in at the Rockies' rotation and they see a bunch of raw ERAs in the fours, and they go, eh, you know, but Kyle Freeland or Men Marquez, we'll see about Austin Gomber. But I think now we've got enough data on Antonio Sensatella as well to know that when you've got starting pitching that that's that quality, they're going to keep you in games. And I think that's why they won more than people were expecting to last year. And it's the main reason why I expect them to again this year. But that's relying a lot on your top four starting pitchers as well. Yeah, as long as they stay healthy, I mean, they will overperform with their pitching. And I have praised the Rockies pitching because – on some level, they've done the hardest part really right. well. Right. Uh, when the Rockies were at their best a few years, when you know, they had Arenado, you still had Blackman in his prime. Uh, you, you you still had Story. They had stars, which are the hardest types of players to develop, and they had good pitching in cores, which is the hardest thing to develop. It it was the easy parts relatively right. that they had struggled with. They had trouble with secondary talent. Uh, now, we, we're both on board with the tanking, but one thing I think the Rockies do have control over is I think when they do have these interesting young players, I do think they need to be more aggressive about getting them into the majors and getting playing time. Right. I really think that Ryan McMahon's development was stunted quite a bit because he was you know jerked up and down he was used as a pinch hitter a top prospect should almost never be used as a pinch hitter not what i think he what had like 25 games as a pinch hitter the yeah, other year in a postseason race at the end of 17 when they were really fighting for that wild card spot they brought mcmahon up he was hitting like 400 in triple a he was on absolute fire they brought him up and sat him on the bench and gave him like 20 at bats yeah yeah i i, I could not agree more because people people 
people talk about like emulating the Rays, but the Rays, they trust their young talent. Yeah, the Rays also tank and they trade everyone as soon as they make <laughs> a good amount of money. But when they have a, a player they believe in, the Rays will find ways to get them into the games. And sometimes I don't want to get too mean because I, I, I'm kind of sarcastic and quippy. <laughs> sometimes it feels like the Rockies try to find reasons not to use some of these guys. And I think that is a mistake. I think you should try to find ways to get McMahon in the game. You should find ways to, you know, obviously there was some health issues in addition, but to get Brendan Rogers in the games. And I think that is how you're going to win without tanking because no team that isn't going to spend a lot of money can win without developing a lot of players. Right. Right. And, and I agreed. And, and as much as I understood why they kept playing guys like Ian Desmond over, even like a guy like Rymel Tapia, you know, who's, who's finding a new ground for him out there in Toronto. Like he was never going to be a superstar game changer or whatever, but he, I don't think he was ever going to be the negative value that Ian Desmond was, but Desmond had the contract, you know, he had the veteranness, but black and these guys kind of were really into that. And I, I was pushing him hard at the time. I'd go in there every day and ask like, why isn't this guy playing? And uh, I'm with you the, the young player stuff has been very frustrating to see the one guy they did have epic belief in was David Dahl, who they gave every opportunity. And he just kept getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing they can do about that. I mean, just yeah. some guys just can't stay healthy. And it is a real shame. I was I was really hoping he did have a lot of upside potential yeah. and the team liked him. And then to have him just not be able to stay healthy. It, 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 it's, it, it's tough to see. That, that one was brutal. That one was brutal. So. Uh, I'll ask you this question. I get asked this one a lot, but we'll finish up on the Rockies part of it, and then we're going to goof off for a short period of time. But uh, the Colorado Rockies will outperform your expectation and make the postseason if? If the pitching stays very healthy and Ryan McMahon and Brendan Rodgers take a step forward, yeah, then I think they could be serious contenders. Uh, but you will need above average health from the pitching staff. I think once you start losing someone or someone's disappointing, then it becomes a little trickier and the math doesn't quite work. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, and quick bonus baseball question for you. Toronto Blue Jays, the most fun team in baseball. They they are up there. Uh, last year before they collapsed, it was the Padres, I think. Sure. And then the Padres kind of got depressing after they played like a <laughs> They were worse than the Orioles for the last six, last six yeah. weeks of the season. It was, uh, I forget the exact data. I don't have it in front of me. But they had one of the worst runs for a, a above 500 team at the All-Star break in, in the second half. It was, I think, the worst since the, the 86 Orioles, which I do remember, the, the season that kind of ended Earl Weaver's career uh, yeah. in Baltimore as a child. So I wasn't happy to see that. But the Blue Jays are a lot of fun. I mean, you have some really fun pitchers on that team. You have Vladdy Guerrero, you have, you know, Alejandro Kirk, who doesn't look like he should be playing a sport. Uh, (laughs) As a a doughy middle-aged man, I appreciate those guys. I love to see, you know, Bartolo Colon or, or, you know, Williams Astadio. Those, those are fun guys. It's like, yeah, I could, these are guys I feel that wouldn't outrun me by a mile. It's like, yeah. Miss David Wells, man. Those are the days, right? Boomer. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I will tell you really quickly about the Padres. It is, it's fun for me because I need one of those and the Padres and the Mets allow me to, (laughs) (laughs) you know, sit there because people always get really hyped on those teams and they continue to be as bad as, if not worse than the Rockies, but 
they get people to believe in them for things. I remember all last offseason, all I heard was the Rockies shouldn't even be trying to compete because the Dodgers and Padres are going to run this division for a decade. And I was like, can we wait for the Padres <laughs> to get into the postseason once? <laughs> you know, and then they didn't. Count. 2020 still counts. That doesn't, it does not, you know. <laughs> hey, they did it. They weren't like one of the, they weren't like the Astros that year. They were actually good in the 60 games. It's it's true. They, but it was, it was like this small sample size. They had so much talent. People were really excited and I got it, but I was like, let's see the Padres play some baseball first. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and I still think that team's probably going to be pretty damn good. And the Mets, too. Actually, the Mets, anybody who listened to me all offseason, I wanted the Rockies to go get two outfielders. Their names were Starling Marte and Mark Kana. So the Mets literally got the outfield I wanted. Uh, yeah, the, the Mets are always are always interesting in that they're going to find a new way to, like, break the heart of all their fans. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm generally against the idea that, like, different fan bases have different kind of characteristics. But you could tell the difference between Yankees fans and Mets fans. Yeah. Yankees fans are usually excited about their team and they think their team is awesome. The Mets fans all had this very complicated relationship with their team right. where they love their team, but they expect horrible things to happen that they don't know. Uh, there was, oh, I, I wish I could find it now. I described it do. as kind of, and then kind of a Russian word for that kind of oh, fatalism, because yeah. it's a very Russian type of fatalism. Right. Uh, I wrote about it last year. Uh, I remember that article. That it, yeah. That it seems like that's what the Mets kind of embody and Mets fans do. Uh, I mean, they're the quickest to have their hearts broken by their team. Boy, I know. Right. I know. Uh, so Rockies fans just always remember that. <laughs> just always remember that. Um but I did want to ask you, because you and I are both gigantic nerds and uh, played, especially coming from the age when the video games were really, really good. But I, I love your crossover content. Uh, I wanted to ask if you had any particular, my favorite, let, let me start, but before I ask you your favorite, I love the Royal Rumbles with the baseball players on WWE 2K. <laughs> that's my particular favorite piece. And that's not even Final Fantasy related, which is, of course, my wheelhouse. So I was wondering if there's any of those that you particularly enjoy or you might even dare to call your favorites. Uh, well, of, of, of those Royal Rumbles, I, I love uh, the one I had of uh, Bartolo Colon doing a moonsault on, on Joe Madden. I have a gif of that somewhere. It's, it's just fun to do it. And it, it makes me feel like I'm using Photoshop, which I paid for with money like an actual adult. And oh, sure. I'm actually using it in some way because I don't actually professionally because like. I have like the last standalone copy before I went to creative cloud. Right. Uh, and that's what I use. So it's like, I, I paid a lot of money for this, but now I'm using it. Uh, I'd love to do more crossovers. I just wish I had more like computer programming skill. I'd love to uh, go into RPG maker and make kind of like baseball sprites and do kind of like a final fantasy esque, uh, you know, JRPG using players. Right. Uh, that's kind of on my to-do list. Uh, but did I think about some of the technical skills that I might need to make that practical and not just stupid? Because uh, it, it, it would be fun to kind of do a take on that. Yeah, I'm always amazed by the stuff that people can do in those RPG makers and stuff. And I, I'm also always constantly amazed, at, and I'm sure you've had this experience a bunch of times, as people who have been into both of these things, maybe even going back to the tabletop days of Dungeons and & Dragons or whatever, and like how closely the concept of tabletop RPGs or RPGs in general 
and statistics, right, are to fantasy sports or, or sports analysis in general and those statistics. Like how like how how oh, this is a weird word to use, but how tickled are you? By oh, the, I, I, I love overlap. mixing the concept. I did that with yeah. I have a lot of Hearthstone baseball cards, too, but mm. really like. A lot of the baseball games, like the tech simulators, like Diamond Mine, they're derived from, you know, tabletop baseball games, which had the same thing. I mean, you you rolled dice and looked up a player card. It's no different than having a, a simulation of a player. And you can and you can mix sports and RPGs. I wish I remember the name of the game. I think it was called Final Lap Twin for TurboGrafx-16. Okay. Wow. It okay. was a role-playing game. But when you were on the overworld and you had, uh, you know, the random encounters, they were races, not fights. Oh, uh, cool. It was really cool. Uh, my, my friend Mike had it and I was playing on an emulator a few years ago. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So you can kind of do something like that with baseball. And, you know, I love bringing video games into baseball. Just the other week uh, uh, on, on Fangraphs Audio, uh, Ben Clemens, he's been playing uh, Tiny Tina Wonderlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am too now. I was just too busy with the final zips. I couldn't get into a game at that point. So I kind of used. Uh, we kind of segued Jose Altuve into Tiny Tina because he's he's short. I know that's that's kind of a <laughs> hacky segue, but uh, and and it, it, it. It, it's fun to talk about those things because I've I've been playing games since Atari twenty six hundred. Uh, so I'm 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 a, I'm a total game nerd. Yeah, and I love all the stuff like that. We were just in my Discord channel the other day. We were talking about base wars. Do you remember with the robot? Yeah, yeah, the NES one. You could you could buy replacements during the game. Yeah, uh, I've made a lot of baseballs. Uh, baseball twenty twenty, the SNK. I think no, they didn't make that. Trade Trade West, maybe I don't know. But there was like baseball twenty twenty. And it was kind of funny because in baseball 2020, the players are kind of in, the fans are enclosed in glass uh, <laughs> in the future. And it was kind of like that with the COVID year. And I thought that was hilarious because <laughs> according to games in 1990, there should be robots right now. Right. I know. Right. We like, should have flying cars. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> what yeah, I think they'd be very disappointed in the past. Like someone from 1985 comes like, tell me about 2020. Well, we don't have robots. Uh, now you you know that Donald Trump guy? He was the president. <laughs> a lot of things have gone weird. <laughs> it's gotten real weird, man. No flying cars, no robots. I think we're in the year of the Jetsons now. I'd have to look that up. That might oh, be is uh, that right. That's that's a way to make us feel nice and old. Uh. <laughs> but you know, you've seen people drive cars. Do you think when you're on a, on an expressway or a, or any kind oh. of highway, you say, you know what I think these people should be doing? They should be flying, flying. these cars. Uh, I'm hoping for the self-drive ones, you know, self-drive flying cars. It's it's like the the automated strike zone, right? It's been coming all my life. It's been, it's been, it's been right around the corner every year forever. <laughs> But to see, at least in, in cars, they kind of introduce these things slowly for you. Yeah. You, you don't see any kind of shift really in baseball quite yet other than evaluating umpires because I like because, you know, I, I get a car like every 15 years and they, there's like always such a leap forward because right. uh, when I got a Subaru in 2018, I, I had a car f- that I had bought in 2004 at that time and there was no, you know, automated cruise control that has a radar to see the the car in front of you and you know (laughs) no lane keep assist warnings or blind spot monitor i'm like ooh, so so i'd like to have the baseball you could have 
the blind spot monitor. It worked. The, the, the exact name works for the umpire have their blind spot monitor. They do have since since we came back to it. I, I want to finish with this. They, they, they've got the comms thing now. Um, but w- what is your favorite new thing in baseball? Let's say over the last four or five years, because they have added a, a you know, because I, I agree with you, they've never been revolutionary, but we do now have a California rule, which I hate, uh, <laughs> universal <laughs> DH, which I love. Uh, talking about banning the shift, so we haven't quite gotten there, but I've become a ban the shift guy when I wasn't before. So uh, any of those things, what what of these do you have a, a favorite? Any you, you particularly like? Or don't, I guess. Pick one. It's fine by well, me. If you really hate one, it's your time. <laughs> the, the, the one I don't like are the zombie runners. I hate the zombie yeah. runners yeah. so much. See, I I think that there are opportunities to change rules in baseball. Uh, I mean, one of baseball's strengths is that it's essentially the same game that you're playing in 1930. But that can have some negative consequences, too. Uh, I sure. do think it's healthier for the game to incentivize. I use incentive again. To incentivize making putting the ball in play a good thing. Uh, and I'd like them yeah. to see them go crazy with the Atlantic League. I'd like to see, you know, 88-foot bases. Uh, you know, if bases oh. are shorter, it's more profitable to put the ball in play because a ball in play will be a single more often. Singles will turn into doubles. It it, it, it it changes the whole calculus. I mean, if you have an experimental league, you should experiment. Uh, sure. But the problem with the zombie runners is I felt that it messed with a core conceit of baseball, which is that runners get on the bases either put for another player or because of something they did. They don't just appear there like magic. Right. And <laughs> I think that's a much larger violation than even, you know, pitch pitch clocks or or, or anything like that. Uh, so that's what I hate it with a vengeance. Even though uh, apparently I coined zombie runners, Jason Stark kind of chased that down. <laughs> Uh, and it came back to me that I had coined it. See, even if I name something, I still don't want it to it's exist. Silly. That's how much I hate it. Well, no, I appreciate that. And I'm going to adopt it because every time somebody says ghost runner, uh, a little part of me dies inside. As somebody who played baseball with yeah. my friends in parks and knows what a ghost runner is, <laughs> like, that's not a ghost runner. That's a real person. Damn it. And, so and zombie don't, give, don't give Rob Manfred ideas because, yeah. okay, instead oh, of having goodness. a zombie runner, we're going to pretend that there was a runner oh, on second. Can you imagine? <laughs> Run just scores. Oh, my God. Yeah. and And the problem, of course, is that as a kid, Ghost Runners always led to arguments about where the Ghost Runner went to. Of course. No, man, he's out at the plate. He's out at the plate. That was a good throw. <laughs> but uh, but we, 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 the idea behind Zombie Runners is it's like, you know, the last batter kind of resuscitated. Yeah. Risen from the dead, like, like, just, you know, a zombie movie and at second base. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love it. I'm using that from now on for sure. All right, Dan, where can everybody find your stuff and uh, what are you working on? Well, you can find me at D Zimborski on Twitter. You can always find me at Fangraphs. That's where I am full time since 2018. You can still occasionally find me on ESPN, although not as often. Uh, and for the next couple of weeks, I'm actually kind of on semi vacation. So hopefully not too many articles because that has happened when I'm on vacation before I end up starting to write stuff. Well, I appreciate you starting your vacation by coming on my podcast. <laughs> talking baseball for a half hour it's, it's fun to talk about baseball it's fun to talk about video games we have to go we have to find an excuse to talk video games longer you can you can have me on the final fantasy podcast we can talk about that because I, I was gonna say yeah i, mean, you I spent come a lot of time playing final fantasy 14 the last couple of weeks so oh man i know I, I always have to cancel my final fantasy 14 subscription this time of year so i don't you know 
<laughs> stop uh, doing was, my well, job and stuff well there's a new there's a new 24 man raid i know <laughs> i know and it's a fun Dan. one too i haven't gotten to i haven't even finished horizon forbidden west yet like i'm like 70 hours into that game and i love it so much but the baseball season started and i just had to put everything down for a minute but i'll get back, I'll get back. all right dan this is a whole lot of fun i appreciate it well, well thanks for having me on drew All right. I want to thank Dan so much for taking the time. I do absolutely want to have him back on sometime so that we can dive deep into the Coors Field and Coors Hangover and WRC Plus and War Debate. That'll be a lot of fun. Super nerdy and really technical and maybe a giant bore for some people, but really, really fun for some of us, right? Especially me and Dan. I think we'll enjoy that and hopefully some of you will as well. So, Appreciate that from him and from all of you. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation uh, and uh, be looking out for a few more of those on the horizon as I get to talking to some people around the baseball world that I really enjoy speaking with. So we'll keep watching this Philly series. We'll keep watching Rockies games all week, month, and of course season long. I appreciate you all for keeping it right here at milehighsports.com and on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribing to all that stuff following me on social at drew creaseman and don't forget if you're interested in a private chat room where you come talk colorado rockies 24 7 and not be mocked for having the audacity to enjoy your baseball team well slide into my dms i'll hit you up with a link where you can come hang out with us so thank you all for being absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you both